Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 125, They Have a Miraculous Love. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 11 of Buffy, Triangle, and series 8, episode 11 of Doctor Who, Dark Water. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy this week, um, Triangle. Um, yes. Interesting episode. You kind of said uh, last time, I think, either on air or to me, that um, you might expect after um, Into the Woods and the big dramatic departure of Riley and, and, and the fact that that was a you know mid-season break, mm. you might expect this to come back with like a a heavy, emotional, Buffy-centered, you know, like, post-trauma episode. Yeah. Um, and it kind of goes the other way. I mean, obviously, that's part of Buffy's story, but um, she's right. kind of sidelined a little bit, and even her emotion is kind of treated with, you know, a lot more levity than, yeah. you know. Not that she's yeah. not, not that we're not supposed to feel for her or feel sympathetic, but... This is not like when, you know, she had to kill Angel and then like left, you know, Sunnydale in the fog of depression. And, you know, like this is very much it's kind of treated as the like, well, she's going through a hard time, but we all know and she knows that life will go on, you know. And so yeah. I feel like you're allowed to kind of see a little bit more humor in it than before sure. which i don't know maybe that says now that i think about that maybe that says something about the relationship with riley being a little uh less you know uh i don't know what a little like the breakup being a little bit less traumatic maybe that goes back to riley's point of this sure. isn't quite the all-consuming passion that she's had for angel and some other people so right um yeah well and and what did don say she doesn't get all worked up over you right right <laughs> you know? yeah and it's kind of true right she doesn't right. i mean and, and even when she does we are cued to find that kind of funny like not in a not in a yeah. ridiculing sort of way but in a, a hum- i just said ridiculous we're, we're kind so of, in we're, a ridiculing way. <laughs> well like we you humor her it's like yeah. It's like, oh, isn't she cute? You know, I'm sure she'll be over it next week. That kind of a thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is. There is more of like a teenage love mm. aspect to it. And the other thing that I think about that is that it's more of, <laughs> it feels to me or seems to me more like she likes the idea of love mm. more than the actual love. Like, so she... What does she get upset over? She gets upset over other people breaking up. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, you could say, well, that's, you know, her responding to her own situation and, like, sort of projecting. But at the same time, it's like, when she's seriously talking to Dawn about it, Mm -hmm. or even seriously talking to Giles about it, she's sort of half-joking and maybe seems a little bit sad, Mm -hmm. but doesn't get the crying emotional like she does now again like you said some of that's just for comedic effect because this is 
you know, a comedic story, but... Right, um, but even the fact that it's used for comedic effect says something. You know, they wouldn't treat it that way if it was meant to be... You know, this isn't this isn't designed to be the big emotional tearjerker, like right. you know, um, right. traumatize everybody, you know, um, type episode. Yeah, but but there is that difference in tone yeah. um, between when she's talking with Giles, yeah. um, and then other you know separately talking with Don, versus when she's talking to other people about their relationships, and so right. I think I think that's. Interesting. And I think you're right. Like, I think it probably does have something to do with the very nature of Riley and her relationship and sort of the thing that she never saw and sort of what she admits, you know, to Don is like, well, apparently it wasn't that slow, according to Mm -hmm. everyone who isn't me, (laughs) you know, like, that seems to be, uh, seems to be something that she's like now that it's sort of happened, like she didn't even really notice it before anyway. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's gone and over and done with. And I guess there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a kind of peacefulness to like, or kind of like resigned about it, like, and not sure. in a, you know, in a way that seems like I said, like not discouraged, but just kind of peaceful. Like, well, that was a shame, but you know, she's sort of accepted the way, She's moved into the acceptance phase a lot more quickly yeah. than she did with Angel, I think. Well, um, and the other thing that we should remember is that they actually, they they do sort of hold true to the um, time frame here because, you know, we got the, like you said, you know, the last episode Into the Woods was the sort of mid-season finale. And so you get like three or four weeks or something before this episode in January. and And when Buffy and Don are talking you do get um, a reference to it having been a cut. Like, you know, Don saying, oh, I would have taken the pictures down sooner kind of thing. And and it's like, well, you know, this isn't just like, oh, it's a weekly show, so this is one week later. This is actually like a few weeks later. And and Mm -hmm. so there is a little bit of time. Not to say that, like, she should have gotten over it. But, you know, usually the hard crying and you know despair in most normal cases will will only last a few days and so we sort of skipped that um right yeah right um and i guess worth pointing out too that for to kind of do that light comedic tone of course they they get jane espenson to write the episode um so that's you know you you know um what kind of at least in so far, you know, with her, um, I wouldn't say that she can't ever do anything else, but that seems to be a continuing idea with her, that hers are kind of, um, you know, the the more fun and funny episodes. Yeah. Um, so where I want to start, actually, is with the kind of Giles bookend. Um because uh, it's his travel to England, which is sort of the setup for the whole episode of why he's gone and Mm. the fact that they have to mind the store at all um, is because he's going um, to the Watchers Council to ask them about glory and about the key to see what they know. Um, 
so I, you know, I found that kind of surprising, you know, they seem to pretty much be growing more and more distant from the watchers, um, you know, and, and kind of cut those formal ties and, you know, not only, you know, to kind of better manage their own situation, but also because like the watchers have gotten increasingly like shady and, you know, the things that, you know, they, they seem not always the most, um, trustworthy group anyway. So mm. it kind of suggests, and Giles even says like, if the initiative was still around, he would have used them. So sure. it's sort of this kind of like, whoa, he must be, he must be serious. He must be sort of desperate for information because he's going to these, you know, groups of people who he has reason to sort of be wary of. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, I think we should remember too that like, you know, ignoring sort of the ripper phase of his life, like the Watchers Council was a big part of, who he was so it's all yeah. even though like he's not part of it anymore mm -hmm. and you know Buffy isn't sort of under their thumb or whatever like they are still a knowledgeable resource and it seems yeah. pretty reasonable that like if you can't find anything about you know this evil whatever mm -hmm. um danger that's sort of menacing your town it does make sense like who else is going to have a more extensive library or knowledge and what else have they been doing and we don't actually even know like we've seen a couple other watchers before and we've seen some of their messengers or mm -hmm. you know operatives i guess you could call them you know but we don't actually even know how big the watchers council is we know that like yeah um you know like that that they apparently do have other watchers out there like with you know like potential slayers or whatever you want to call you know like the um like with kendra you know like how she says she was taken from a young age like well before mm -hmm. she was called to be a slayer you know and sort of brought up under a watcher's guidance and that kind of thing so that you know we don't even know how big this group is but potentially it's big enough that you would want to tap into that level of information if you really have hit a brick wall so yeah i mean i i guess that's all to say that like i think you're right like this is clearly giles sort of at his wit literally at his wits end mm -hmm. you know he he's exhausted his independent resources and just needs to have someone a little more uh financed maybe mm -hmm. <laughs> or you know however you want to look at that um be involved and mm -hmm. and get some information um and of course buffy's concern over the possibility of them learning about dawn right is a big issue because this you know if they're you know this group of men who you know are so adamant about controlling buffy you know yeah. or were until she sort of told them no yeah um you know what are they going to do to another teenage girl who's even like more unique like there's it's right. not only that it's not like slayers where there's only one at a time it's like there's literally only one key yeah <laughs> you know so you know what are they going to do there and how are they going to try to right get their grubby little hands on dawn or whatever you know 
I'm maybe painting them in a more harsh light even than we might otherwise see them. Well, but certainly I mean, the Buffy fact is... that they concealed Dawn from them, I think, kind of indicates that they kind of feel... I mean, that's Buffy's big yeah. concern is... And Giles oh, yeah. kind of admits, like, she's like, you know, what would they do if they found out? And he's like, I honestly don't know. You know, like, yeah. you know, like, we're not really putting... that. Yes, they are financed and they're knowledgeable and they're a great resource, but we're not necessarily going to put anything past them in terms of their, you know, ethical behavior, you know? Sure. Um, sure. I mean, we might want the knowledge that they have, but I don't think... Buffy or Giles necessarily trust them with confidential information. Um, yep. So, and he kind of comes back, you know, a little bit none the wiser. Like it sounds like he has some people looking into it in the meantime, but, um, but he doesn't really bring back any new information from his trip. No, he doesn't. Um, yeah. So do you think it was worth it for him to go then? I guess. Well, um, I mean, we'll see if that bears any fruit to me. What I'd be worried about is like, okay, not only did you not learn anything, but now you've like exposed this really vital information to like a bunch of these kind of dubious watchers, you know? So like potentially it could end up causing more harm than good. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe you know, time will tell whether, you know, they will come back with any sort of helpful information. Sure. Um, and we do get um, the little tag of Dawn overhearing the conversation. Um, yes. And not like in any detail, but just that this, she knows that there's some secret that they're keeping from her about herself. You know, I don't think she even, I could be wrong. I don't think she even hears anything about glory or the key specifically more just this idea of, you know, Oh, there's something that we all know that we can't tell Dawn and, you know, um, so that's probably not going to go over great for her. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah no so, i it's definitely interesting to sort of think about that um and and i yeah i don't i actually honestly don't remember how much she hears <laughs> at this point so yeah you know. i'm pretty sure i think i paid attention and it's just the last couple lines about oh i can't believe it my little girl like you know right. um more that kind of vague oh we can't say anything nobody can know about this i don't think she hears any of the sort of you know uh, names or anything like that um but sure i mean so i guess we'll see too um how she kind of reacts to that news um yeah. okay yeah so while Giles is gone, somebody has to mind the store. And yep. you kind of get a little um, power struggle of sorts, I think, between um, Anya and Willow. Um, 
you know, they all kind of offer, oh, you know, we'll all help and everything. Um, so they're all sort of willing to do it. But, you know, Anya in particular, you know, as, you know, and for good reason, she's the one actual employee, you know, full-time employee. This is her job. She right. wants that. She wants that responsibility. She knows what she's doing. She knows she can handle it. Um, you know, and in particular, she's kind of really only trusts herself around, you know, the the money, the money and the yeah. finances and the the supply and everything, you know. Um, she endangered the money. She endangered the money. And, you know, again, not without reason. You know, you kind of see, like, she yeah. really is the only one who does respect those things. Um, you know, the others might criticize her for respecting them too much. And maybe there's a point in there, but also, like, you know, she actually legitimately does want to, you know, this isn't the story about the ex-demon who screws everything up. Like, this is definitely Anya right. wanting to and trying to take responsibility. Um, yeah. And definitely, you know, being sort of frustrated in that. Um, but then you sort of get Willow, who seems more, you know less coming at it from the point of view of somebody who, you know, she's more doing it like, you know, it's more like a favor, like, you know, oh, you know, my friend is gone and I'll take care of things. And she kind of sees it more as, well, because Anya doesn't really know how to talk to people, then clearly I should be here as this sort of, you know, buffer, yeah. you know, personality buffer, but really doesn't have a whole lot of interest in actually, you know, running the store, you know, pretty much right. immediately she's, you know, stealing things and making spells and, you know, trying to help Buffy, but doing it in like a pretty cavalier sort of way. Um, yeah. And I, I want to dwell on that for a moment because yeah. I actually like, we've talked a little bit before you know, like how in season four that, you know, Willow Willow's more confident mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. And sort of Tara is sort of the less confident one. And so she's kind of taking over that role yeah. that Willow had in the early seasons. And I would say that even in this episode, and I don't know if we've seen this before with Willow, if, if you've seen it, you can mm -hmm. feel free to mention it but um i would say in this episode she's even a little bit i want to use the word reckless although mm -hmm. that might be even overstating it a bit but like as far as you know thinking back to even like season two or three you know willow is like miss responsibility like right. you know get your homework done on time you know do everything by the book whatever like here she's very much giving into her oh, I'm just going to try out some spells and I'm going to use some of Giles' stuff. And now maybe it's true that Giles would let her and wouldn't mind, but yeah. we don't, like, I don't know that I've ever seen Willow just go take things off of shelves before. Right. You know, so she's kind of abusing her oh, yeah. friendship, you know, in, in doing that. And that's interesting to me. I don't, I don't, like whenever I get to this point and sort of watching like, you know, again, like she's always 
not always, but like she's grown more confident and mm-hmm. whatever. So like it's not even that we see, but it's like it's actually that in doing so, she seems to be taking at least in this episode, a little bit of an attitude of I know what I'm doing, so just let me do it mm-hmm. and not not ha- not allowing not only being a check on herself, but not allowing her friends or those who maybe should be her friends, like Anya, mm-hmm. to to be a check on herself, yeah. you know, for her. Yeah. Uh, so I I just I I always find that a little bit interesting that there's a bit of a I again I reckless might be taking a little bit too far. Although then mm-hmm. again you see what she does with the cash register twice. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and also like. Just the fact that she, you know, is this really the place where she she should be trying out new spells? And should she be just taking stuff without mm-hmm. paying for it? Or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, Anya's kind of right. She is stealing. And yes, it's in front of your eyes. But that doesn't make the stealing better. <laughs> like, right, right. It, I'm it, taking things without paying for them. And what twisted dictionary is that stealing? Right. Um, yeah, I feel like... With the, I mean, there's the kind of, like, uncharacteristicness of it and, like, the hypocrisy of, like, her saying to Anya, like, you know, there are rules and, you know, it's like, okay, well, you're breaking every rule, you know, like, it, whatever rules you want to break are apparently fine, but other people yeah. have to live. It's sort of like, you know, she, the rules she wants Anya to live by are the kind of, like, you know rules of like social conduct like speak a certain way and be nice to people and you know um you know more about like wanting Anya to have a certain personality but you know Anya is actually the one who's following the rules of you know actual like you know appropriate behavior social social conduct doesn't include stealing other people's stuff you know what I mean like like yeah it's it's Willow being selective yeah. about what... which which rules are the ones that we yeah. care about, and Anya's following different rules than her, um, you know, which make them the, the sort of the wrong ones. But um, I feel like there is like a shift here, and I, I feel like we've seen Willow be reckless before with things like her magic, you know, like mm. what spells she is. You know, we've seen her be kind of a little, you know, confident but but cocky at times about what she can handle in terms of, you know, the magic and yeah. causing a bit of, you know, unforeseen consequences that way. But I feel like this is the first time where she's been, like, more reckless with other people, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. where it's not just, oh, I messed up the magic and then that's you know, accidentally hurting people. It's that her recklessness extends to treating her friends badly too. Mm. You know, not just I I hurt you with magic, but like I'm actually going to ignore what you are saying and doing in order to perform the magic. So like taking stuff from Giles and completely ignoring Anya and, you know, and putting Tara and Xander in the middle, like, None of that is like, you know, enough to sort of pull her, you know, back. Um, Whereas before, I feel like she would have wanted to maybe 
not get on all those people's bad sides. She would have wanted them to all like her. And then maybe secretly she would have gone off and done a spell that like caused some sort of mischief. Right. But like here, it's just this like open in front of everyone. Like you said, I'm going to do what I want. And you know, it's fine because I say it is and you'll just have to get over it. Um, You know, and then, you know, once that happens, the kind of, you know, constant blaming of Anya, like this is Anya's fault, you know, that this is, you know, we did this. No, you, you, this is definitely, this seems like a you thing. Like, uh, it's like, I can't think of any way in which this was, I mean, maybe just the fact that they were bickering, they share some sort of blame in that, but, um, you know, I think the spell was definitely a Willow thing that Willow wanted to do. And Anya was specifically telling her not to. Right. Um, Willow could have easily picked up her, you know, magic implements and gone somewhere else where Anya wasn't. Yeah. You know, if, if she was concerned about Anya messing up the spell and even after saying to Anya, like, Oh, any wrong word could, you know, screw things up. She, you know, Willow lets herself be drawn into a bickering match with Anya. Right. So it's like, there. yes, Anya was bickering with her, but Willow's the one doing the magic here and right. should have had enough sense that, hey, maybe I, maybe if this spell is so delicate, I shouldn't be doing this. One, you're going to create a mini sun inside a store. Like, what if something goes wrong? Is it going to set everything on fire? Like, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So there's definitely... Uh, yeah, there, there, there seems to me at this point that Willow's got kind of a, a, a little bit of a reckless streak mm-hmm. going, going on, and and a little bit of a, uh, well, I mean, you know, obviously there's some like selfishness mixed in there or whatever. I mean, you kind of that kind of goes along with the recklessness. I'm, I'm trying to think. There's, there's something. There's a word I'm trying to think of, and I can't think of it. But yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, not not one of not an episode that brings Willow off in the best light, no. I think. I it, if I now of course I realize the problem with this and this this thing that sort of Willow points out is like, oh, of course Xander's not going to go against you because he's sleeping with you. Mm-hmm. Um but if I were Xander, I would kind of like say, "Hey Willow, you're my best friend, but you're kind of being a jerk right now." Yeah. <laughs> like No, I think it definitely sides more with Anya um and this and maybe that's maybe that's kind of the point like because we have known Willow so much longer mm-hmm. you know we maybe have stronger emotional ties to her like she's you know been humanized a bit more whereas I feel like Anya has been more um so far more the kind of comic relief character and um yeah. easier to kind of and she's not and she is that kind of I mean, I think her her bluntness is funny, but also, you know, it can be certainly for the other characters more um, off-putting in that way. Um, so I feel like the fact it's it's probably good to have the narrative sort of side with her in this. It kind of gives her a couple points like so that because yeah. otherwise it might be easy to just take Willow's side, you know. Sure. against like this 
this other new character who isn't maybe like one of the real Scoobies or something like sure. it, it makes it more difficult to sort of write her off. Um, so, and you know, I thought too, that part of it with her, her recklessness, it might still be that same old thing of being self-conscious and being kind of, not that confident, but instead of sort of trying to do everything right and please everybody and get everybody to sympathize with her and like her, you know, part of it is that like, she doesn't really like Anya and Anya's egging her on. And so she might be being more reckless just to get under Anya's skin. Like, you mm. know, the more you tell me to put stuff back, the more I'm going to take it off the shelf just because, you know, right. That's sort of, and you know, and it, that becomes a cycle because that's when Anya like right. gets out her pad and exactly. starts writing down the cost right. of each little thing. Right. And, Whereas you feel like, like yeah. maybe if this were her and Buffy, and Buffy was telling her, "Come on, come on, you know, um, do you really want to do this? You shouldn't do this if Giles doesn't know about it." Maybe she, there are other people that she would she would have listened to reason a little bit more, um, and even with Tara, you know. I think a, a component of, like you said, Tara's taking more that supportive character, that supportive role that Willow had before. Willow might like being the more impressive one, you know, like she has somebody to impress now. Like, you know, that sure. there's often times where she's like, well, I can do this spell, you know, easily. And Tara's like, wow, you know, like, I can't believe, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of ego stroking there of like, you know, you kind of want to be a little, she seems a little show-offy, you know? So, like, even Tara saying, maybe you shouldn't do this, you know, that's not necessarily the person that is going to convince her to sort of back down. Right. right. Um, so, um, you know, I think she, I think there are some interesting reasons why she does those things, but definitely... Um, like you said, I was a little bit surprised at how much they let Willow be sort of like the bad guy in this one, like, or the one at fault, you know? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, not, not bad guy in the sense of villain, but like, yeah, it, it, it it's pretty, it's pretty clear to me that she, I think is more at fault for the whole troll situation than Anya is. Um, or at least Anya's bit of it goes back so far that it's like ancient history. So it's sort of like, you know. Well, and right. I mean, yeah. yeah. All right. So we should talk about that. But let's first talk about um, sort of their reconciliation, or at least maybe that's not, you know, their truce, I mm -hmm. guess, so to speak. Because, like, we get to the heart of it when, when it gets yeah. down, like, the you know you you first get sort of um I, I like the way it works out because you get the idea that they're both sort of afraid of the same thing mm -hmm. and that's it's that they'll either hurt xander or take xander away from them yeah um and like they both have that same fear of the other one. yeah um you know, so, like, you get sort of Anya's the one who realizes first that, like, 
oh, Willow thinks I'm going to get, uh, then I'm going to hurt Xander because I spent, you know, a thousand years as a vengeance demon and this, that. And of course we know that that's, I mean, at least she's not going to do that intentionally in any way because we saw the touching opening scene, you know, of them in bed together where Anya's actually really insecure about Mm -hmm. Xander being the one to hurt her Mm -hmm. and leave her and, you know, whatever. And so, um, you know, I, you know, on the one hand, that's not necessarily a wholly invalid concern on Willow's part mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, again, like we said, Anya was a vengeance demon for 10,000 years who specialized in hurting men. Like, right. uh, you know, so that, you know, that is what it is. But it's, um, you know, it's also true, one, that Anya doesn't actually have any powers anymore and that she's actually in love with Xander and that, you know, there's, there's a lot going for them there. You know, on the other hand, we have Willow who's, you know, been Xander's best friend for years and Anya's sort of intimidated by that. Um, You know, she says, you'll, you'll know Xander better than I ever will. You know, that's just the way that, that it is. And you're, uh actually from a power perspective you're a witch you're much closer <laughs> not only are you much closer to being a vengeance demon but my old boss actually offered you a job, offered you, a job <laughs> you know yeah. like there's there's a lot to be said there like that he saw something in you that you're claiming you still see in me like maybe we're not so different than yeah. you'd like to believe. And, oh, by the way, you already stole Xander away from one girlfriend. Right. That's so, the real kind of clincher. It's like, yeah. actually, this has happened before. You guys have some sort of a history together. Yeah. Um, you know. And and so, you know, there's all... And, again, you know, all of those are also valid concerns, so it would seem. and um, Or at least... You know, I mean, Willow has some good comebacks, like, hey, gay now. Right, <laughs> like, right. I'm not interested in Xander in that way or whatever. And and that's, you know, that is what it is. But it's, you can understand why each of them feels that way, even if maybe when you look closer to it, it doesn't hold up as actual rational arguments. These are yeah. irrational arguments their fears that they both have which is you know by definition many fears are pretty much irrational Mm -hmm. not all of them but many yeah like they're both based on real things but not necessarily fears that are likely to come true like they're not based on things which are immediately relevant you know it's more based on their not really getting along and not understanding each other i think and like there are things that if if they would have spent a few more minutes talking or if they liked each other a little bit better i think those are fears that would have been overcome a little bit sooner like they would have realized you know they they aren't so different and that those things are all in the past those aren't things which are you know and there's sort of a a willful element to it as well for for both of them not it's not only just that like 
they, you know, haven't sat down and had a heart to heart ever. Right. It's that neither of them really wants to. Right. And well, and, and they don't like each other anyway. So it's nice to have a convenient right. reason to hate each other. You know, like right. they don't and, just personally, they, they seem to rub each other the wrong way. So it's sort of like, you know, it's a nice convenient thing to say, well, you were a vengeance demon. So, you know, that's why I don't like you or, right. you know, or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they do seem, I mean, truce is maybe a good word because we'll see how much they are compatible as friends, whether they'll ever really get to, you know, grow, you know, friendly with each other, I guess is, is another question, but they seem at least to accept that they both um, care about Xander and neither is going to try to, you know, steal him from the other one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know and, also... and Anya kind of says, like, we both care about you. But, like, for Willow, like, she's gay. So not in that way. So, like, that <laughs> right. kind of makes her happy to think, like, well, just in case, you know. Like, she least... gets it now. Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. And I mean, in the end, they're both working together to defeat Olaf, yes. the troll. So, yes. you know, they're, you know, it. nothing brings you together like battling a troll, I guess. Right, um, right. To quote another, that's how uh, chapter in Harry Potter ends, isn't it? Oh, is it? That's when Harry. Oh, wanted, that's when Hermione, Harry Hermione right? Hermione. They, they become Nothing, friends. Yes, there are a few I, things we, that make you closer than battling a full-grown mountain troll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I just read that chapter with my daughter too, and it completely. Like, I thought that's what you were referencing. Skipped out of my mind. I, I'm sure I was channeling it. Sort of. It must be true. Yeah, but yeah, like I mean, this is this is another example of that. That would make a really good paper. Comparing, there you go. Comparing the two uh, situations, yeah. I guess, because that, that that's a different triangle, but you know, it, yeah. it works. Yeah. Anyway, anywho, uh, no, I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're meant to, you know, this this isn't one of those shows where like suddenly Anya and Willow are best friends per se. Right. There's still going to be tension, and there's still going to be maybe some doubt and anxiety between the two of them but mm -hmm. uh i do think yeah sort of at the end there is an understanding a truce of sorts and, yeah and that's good because we like them both yeah uh and we'll see where where and how that goes and i yeah i just love um so like sort of rounding out i, I don't want to talk about spike and all his stuff yet but I do like from like the triangle perspective that you mm -hmm. get Xander going to the bronze and who does he end up commiserating with? It's Spike. Of course. And, and just the fact that like they're sitting there shooting pool, talking about women together, yeah. like the most, you know, this is Xander who like when Buffy and Angel were together now, granted Xander liked Buffy. So there was an element of jealousy there, but like he hated Angel, right? Mm. And now it's like him and Spike are being buddy buddy Bonding. in the pool yeah. hall at you know the bronze or whatever, and just like talking about women and how frustrating they are. Well, and, and the the line about you know sometimes I'll say something about Anya and Willow. Look at this. What the hell do you see in her look? 
And Spike goes, I know that look. A lot of people never really got Drew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right. you can imagine there's a similarity <laughs> between, you know, Drew's relationship with Spike. Like, he, he's crazy about her, but everyone else is like, I just don't get it, you know? Yeah. Um, so he can actually understand that a little bit. And, you know, mo- most people have had a significant other or two <laughs> like that, where it's like, why sure. are you with that? right uh anyway but yeah no it's i just i i love that um that spike is the shoulder that xander sort of goes and leans on yeah (laughs) you know um and i don't have a lot for sort of xander on his own but um you know kind of worth pointing out his refusing to sort of pick any sides you know both with Mm. not getting in the middle of the fighting um and with, you know, when Olaf, you know, is trying to sort of get him to, you know, pick one or the other. In both cases, he sort of, you know, uh, refuses to play that game, which is yeah. good. Um, you know, because that certainly would only turn them against each other further. So he kind of uh, wisely avoids doing that, I think. Yeah. And, and you get sort of the Solomon outcome. Right. Uh, with with the troll changing the terms uh, from, uh, you know, him choosing one of the women to making them choose uh, or saying, I guess, that he's going to kill Xander. And then, you know, sort of Anya stepping forward first and saying, no, no. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, oh, the other <laughs> the other thing I like this is going backwards but the other thing i like is when when anya like recognizes peer pressure Ooh, ooh, i know what this is this is peer pressure any second you're going to be making me smoke tobacco and have drugs yeah (laughs) anyway yeah like this is this i've heard about this phenomenon yeah you know and And, and, you know i i I recognize it in the wild when i see it you know and uh you know, the cat in the hat. You're referencing literature I have no way of knowing about. <laughs> like, yeah. just the idea of the cat in the hat being this, like, Im- you know, important piece it's of literature. That... Obscure cultural reference, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> that excludes her, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but, I mean, that's also to her point, is that, like, she... Now, you know, it's interesting because... On the one hand, she was a demon for a thousand years, but like that doesn't mean she was completely cut off from human culture. Like, there's no reason why she wouldn't have necessarily been able to run across the cat in the hat, <laughs> you know, just like any other person. Well, um, but apparently she didn't. She so. seems to think not, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so you know. Anyway, yeah, we can. Um, so that's that's the triangle. That's the yeah tit- titular triangle, um, and you get Tara in there a little bit too. I like that she just sort of runs off yeah. <laughs> as well. She's like, oh, um, yeah, I'm gonna do what he did, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She just flees, and I, I like her, you know, backtracking immediately when she when she tells Buffy what you know, and then can tell it upsets Buffy. Her kind of like. Oh no, no, I said that wrong. No, like trying right. to kind of like completely right. pretend that that never happened. Um, yeah. So yeah, she's good. 
Yeah, Tara kind of steps in it a little there with Buffy. I mean, innocently, like not obviously. Yeah. But 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 good to see her and Buffy off together. Like yeah. you see her more a part of the group than she has been before. Like not yeah. just following Willow, but being you know friends with the others sort of independently. Right, um, and you do get the sense that like after the family episode with her yeah that that that's that, changed yeah that it has yeah that there is a difference in the dynamic there among the group and so this and i guess in a way this is anya's family episode um even though right you know maybe she's even been sort of around a little bit longer or whatever but uh now she's at least not that the others i think didn't accept her but um willow you know is sort of the one that had the most problem with her mm-hmm. um so yeah this kind of solidifies her her place right. but it's good to see that like you know buffy even is sort of concerned like even even if buffy sort of is also put off by anya like it's good to see that her concern for their relationship, you mm-hmm. know, of Anya and Xander is, is there yeah. um, as well, you yeah. know, so. Right. She actually does <clears throat> care if they, you know, if they split right. up. Um, right. And I like too that in the end, like when they do like sort of combine to defeat the troll, you know, Willow's got her magic and what does Anya have? her ability to irritate people like that's right. her sort of right <laughs> that's her sort of special ability that she contributes to the group is like as this like really annoying diversion um you know you yeah. you have you can there's nobody you can't piss off so right. i i have faith in you on <laughs> yeah um yeah no that's that's hilarious and and it works like yeah, that's like, the it's thing totally that like legitimate yeah <laughs> Uh, you know, the Olaf is, you know, you're as irritating and emasculating as ever, yeah. which makes you wonder what their what their pre-troll, pre-demon relationship was right. like. Right. You know, what, how bad was it that, you know, I mean, okay, so I don't mean to imply that it's Anya's fault that Olaf cheated on her. Yeah. But based on the comments that you get, like he was clearly looking for something else, you know, that was not Anya. Um, And he even, he, like he mentioned several times that, you know, she was maybe sort of shrewish towards Mm -hmm. him, or at least he perceived it that way. But also, you know, I mean, he clearly didn't have any qualms. Like, Oh, it was only one wench, you know, like I had, I had a great deal of mead. Like, like she wasn't entirely wrong to be turning him into a troll, regardless of, right. you know, uh, whatever. Uh, well, you do get the idea that he was somewhat trollish anyway. You know, like yeah. there's like, there's a kind of the, the punishment fits the crime type thing of like, you know, he was this, if you believe Anya and everything, it right. sounds like he was this kind of, like she says, big oafish, you know, like not a terribly faithful or sensitive boyfriend. So um, it's sort of like, well, if you're going to behave like a troll, you can sort of take the form of one too. 
Um, like, and Xander even says, like, you kind of seem to enjoy being a troll. And he's like, well, you know, I adjusted. But, you know, <laughs> right. maybe he does enjoy it. I don't know. Maybe it like, didn't take much adjustment. Maybe it didn't take, you know, like, it kind of seems like potentially he's somebody who kind of was already a troll in spirit anyway. Sure. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you kind of get the sense that there was there was a little uh, fault on both sides, as you know is the case with most relationships that go awry. Yeah, and and that yeah, for either of them maybe like like maybe they both got a little taste of what they each deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, um, and and they sent him back to hopefully to the troll world, but. We're not quite sure which yeah, one. But possibly the world without shrimp. Possibly the world without shrimp. Some other yeah. land. Um, um, but probably the troll, troll land. Yeah. Uh, and I like Willow's thing when he first pops up too. Of He's not a ball of sunshine. Like <laughs> He's like the exact opposite of yes. a ball of sunshine. You know? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, funny. no, I mean, Olaf is pretty hilarious. Uh, you know, the you know, you do well to flee townspeople. I will pillage yeah. your lands and dwellings. Like, yeah. it, basically the the quintessential uh, stereotypical yeah. troll behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's sort of like medieval Germanic monster, you know? Like, right, you know, right. Um, kind of very Viking-ish and, you know, it's all about ale and mead and wenches and pillage and plunder and all that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> ale, I smell delicious ale. I, I love, and he like picks up, you know, the keg like it's a can, and yeah, uh, yeah, just like <laughs> also the moment when um, he's asking like Spike where where the babies are, yeah. and Spike's like, oh, what what do you think, the hospital? The hospital. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean he's a lot of fun. Um. Of course, the big reveal being that he and Anya dated. Yeah. Um, of course, again, pre-troll, pre-vengeance yeah. uh, demon. But uh, <laughs> it also makes Xander a little insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in a way that we haven't quite seen him as insecure recently. So it's kind of right. a funny little throwback. Uh, he, he's like, but, but you do like me better, right? Like, right. Um, I should hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know that we need to dwell on him so much. Like, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of it is, you know, other than sort of the funny aspects of like, oh, this is Anya's previous boyfriend. Right. And, you know, the, the, that he also happens to be sort of both the product, but also the solution to, Anya and Willow fighting, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the main the main points there. So yeah, um, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about, uh, no, not with him. Um, so well, the last thing to kind of transition is um, to move over to Buffy. Um, you know, you get the scenes of her fighting him and you have, like, tiny little Buffy up against this, like, ginormous, you know, troll with his giant hammer and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that his taunting of, of Sander and Anya's, you know, very, very 
you know, breakable love, you know, is sort of what spurs Buffy on to really, you know, defeat him in the end. Sure. Um, you know, so again, like we kind of talked a little bit about that with Buffy, but um, having her sort of break into over the top, you know, ridiculous tears every time anyone even suggests that anybody might break up, um, you know, right. and, and I kind of like that in the end, like it, she cries like for a minute, but then she just gets so angry that like, how dare he say that? And it's enough to defeat, you know, even his troll strength. Um, sure. So I thought that was a nice way to sort of bring those different plot points together. Um, yeah. You know, pretty funny. Um, you know, and, and you said before we started recording, you know, um, maybe Sarah Michelle Gellar's tears here aren't the most convincing, um, you know, and that's probably true. I think it works because it's meant to be funny. Like I definitely laughed. So I feel like it got the effect that it was going for. Um, you know, sure. especially the bit when she's like, you know, just the idea of like, look, I, I like Xander and Anya, you know, I, I, but like, I would not call their love miraculous, you know, like that kind of hyperbolic sure. language of like, Sure. You know, like, look, they're a couple and maybe they'll last forever and maybe they won't like, but she's kind of taking all that angst and putting that, putting them up on this pedestal of they'll last forever. Theirs is a miraculous love, you know, like right. that's such a kind of kind of, it's, it puts them on such a high pedestal and they're so kind of just normal and average that it kind of, sends them up a little bit you know yeah yeah like and again it's not that i don't like them or their relationship but the idea of xander and anya with a miraculous love just cracks me up sure and of course she gets sort of the opposite prediction from olaf too of that yeah uh you know what are you fighting for minuscule blonde when your friends these two they will never last you know yeah. like like this and then he like gives the reason of course yeah. the reasons why are you know troll reasons Anyanka is very difficult to live with yeah and he's ludicrous and far too breakable yeah <laughs> like, like these are you know but yeah. on the same token like yes anya is a little difficult not i you know whatever but we also like you know again i think we can go back to the moments that we see the two of them alone and not just now but even at the end you know so remember too like this is coming off of the end of the last episode which, right when was he really ending? like was, told her how he felt and everything. Yeah, yeah xander going in and saying i just want you to know this is how i feel about you yeah. and then we get at the beginning of this episode anya you know again with the sort of you know, for for Anya, the 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 touching, you know, mm -hmm. sort of uh, opening up and and allowing herself to sort of be vulnerable and saying, if if you leave me, give me some warning, and yeah. then don't do it. <laughs> like yeah. you know, like this is this is her way, you know, and and she's always sort of straightforward about it. But like you know, this is it, I like the whole like the running motif of the. Um, 
you know, bomb clock winding down, mm-hmm. but then it never goes off, you know, kind of thing. And yeah. and she she wants lots of warning and and maybe a little suspense, but in the end, she doesn't want yeah. Xander to be leaving her. So, you know, again, stuff happens or whatever. So who knows? Maybe they won't be together. But I think, at least as far as couples go, like this, they're probably maybe sort of absurdly uh, the strongest couple in the Buffy verse that right. we've seen so right. far. Right, so far, yeah. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, that might actually you be know. true. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's not, the, I mean, Willow and Tara are pretty strong too. So, like, that's not to put a slight on them. Yeah. But you also get the feeling that they're more, like, like you said, like, with Tara is sort of impressed by Willow. Mm-hmm. And willow kind of likes Mm -hmm. the one who's impressed being the one who's impressive yeah um it's maybe not quite as equal yeah so like there there's an equality fact whereas with anya and xander it does seem like they're more evenly matched on that sort of level anyway Mm -hmm. um so that's just my assessment i like anya i i know i've said that Mm -hmm. even like before like she was introduced as a character i think i told you that like she's one of my favorite characters like in the entire series so yeah Yeah. uh you know i i like this episode because it is you know sort of one that lets her sort of stand up for herself Mm -hmm. but also you know we do get to see those sort of vulnerable moments and and understand more about her and and what sort of moves her and yeah i don't think it's spoilery to say we'll get some more of those types of moments there won't be any more like episodes maybe that like focus on it but you know we'll continue to see some of those types of things from anya yeah and and continue to see like i i think the thing that i like sort of the kernel the 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 focus of this is you know, when she and Willow are arguing and Willow um, is sort of, you know, accusing her of being not human. And Anya's like, no, but wait a minute, I am human. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. human because I'm human, not because of the way I act. Like, And there are plenty the of way I act, who act weirder than I do. You know? Yeah, the, the way I act is by definition human because I'm human to begin with. It yeah. has nothing to do, like, you don't become human by acting a certain way. Right you you just are human and the ways that you act and i i feel like that has like even now you know however many years you know 15 or whatever years Mm -hmm. after this episode aired and i say even now like i think this is true of any time here you pick like that that's the sort of thing that like i feel like as a society we have to continuously Mm -hmm. relearn you know when it comes to you know everything from gay marriage to different religious views to you know whatever different sides of a political debate like yeah. there's just you, it's you just so it seems like dehumanize other people yeah it's yeah. It, 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 it's like well you're human because you have human dna yeah and the things that you do don't make you more or less human it's yeah. everything you do is by definition human because you're a human doing them yeah. and i think that's the thing that that i like most you know, maybe maybe that wasn't even the originally the thing that I liked most out of this episode, but watching it these, you know, yeah. couple of times around, like that's the thing that I sort of focus on and, and think are sort of the, the kernel of it right. to see. And, you know, 
that's true of all the other characters too. Like it's not just Anya, but all the other ones with their weirdness and peccadillos and right. Well, and that's sort of thing of like there are people who there are humans who are weirder than me. Like, what is more human than being weird? Like, isn't yeah. that part of being an individual? You know, is and, having having uniqueness and having quirks and doing things that aren't like other people. Like yeah. that's why that's how you know you're yourself. That you're not just some sort of parrot who you know, does whatever is, you know, expected of you all the time. And, and, and but we all want other people to do what we expect. It's like, yeah. we want that freedom. You know, I'm sure Willow can relate to that message for herself, sure. but because Anya annoys her, it's easy to sort of call that non-human behavior, you know? Right. Um, and to a reminder that that, like, that's how she started. It's not like she, you know, was always a vampire and then lost her vampire powers. Right. She started out as human too. So it's not, you know, it's, yes, there was a thousand year gap in her humanity, maybe, right. but, but that's, that doesn't make her less human. Like she was human before she's human now. That's yeah. just the way it is. So, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm also always for people who say things like rules are stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know. Right. Well, and you get that flip there of, again, with the rules, what rules are we talking about? And you get that maybe the rules Willow's breaking are the more problematic ones of, you know, you're betraying the trust of your friends, you're stealing things, mm -hmm. you're, you know, like those are actually, you know, one kind of rules. The rules Anya doesn't care about are the ones like what people think of her, you know, yeah. like, you know, that's exactly the kinds of rules you should be breaking, you know, that are about, you know, being just sort of um, told who to be or what to do or that kind of conventional sort of thinking. That's the way in which, you know, Anya might want to be responsible and mind the store, but there are lots of rules that she's happy to sort of break. Um, sure. So... All right. Well, oh, are there? Well, you know what? I need one minute for Spike. Um, oh, yeah. Because he <laughs> uh, is getting more and more troubling to me, like in his behavior. You know, Obsession. it's funny. Yeah. I just listened, you know, and in some ways, there's the kind of positive side of it of we've seen him become more, you know, maybe less openly villainous like doing things like caring about Buffy's feelings you know like when he sits next to her and says what can I do and you know you sort of see him tending to victims here he's being he's being selfless in a way that at least he's not thinking about um or at least not in all ways thinking about how does this serve me but on the other hand, he still is because all of those altruistic things are about influencing Buffy's opinion of him. And I just listened to the our episode for like to post it. Um, I re-listened to the one where we talked about Fool for Love with his mm. um, yeah with his flashbacks. And you know, it was funny listening to that preparing to record this because. Like hearing us talk about how, you know, he, his 
hatred and love for women, you know, and how mm. he loves them. And because they don't love him back, he hates them, you know? So yeah. you get this, on the one hand, this sort of almost touching devotion for Buffy and kind of, you know, regard for her. And on the other hand, because she doesn't notice it or, you know, it, then it turns into, you know, you ungrateful bitch. Like, you know, right. that's not loving language at all. You know, that's a really kind of hateful language. And and excusing his own things, like I'm the innocent in all this when he's the one to break up the relationship that she was in, you know, deliberately set up Riley to sort of get caught and then resents it when Buffy doesn't thank him for this, you know? <laughs> so you get this kind of mingled, like, in some ways he's becoming more sympathetic and in others it's just showing the kind of like twisted you know aspects of his personality so yeah um well yeah and and like i mean we don't know like we can we can sort of hear him talking to the buffy mannequin yeah and you know getting his post-game report on the way things happen but it's hard to believe that him getting Buffy, you know, walking into Buffy's room in the middle of the night while she's sleeping to, mm. you know, bring her to where Riley is. Yeah. It's hard to believe that that's completely like selfish or selfless. I mean, Oh no, absolutely uh, not. You know, no, that's that, about, that's about let it, me get he, this guy out of the way. Well, and it's about, let me like, she'll look at me as a hero as the hero you know, because yeah. I and when she doesn't understandably you know she doesn't right. <laughs> like yeah that's where you know it's that nice guy attitude of well right. you know I did this for you when uh, right. you actually kind of didn't it, right. you did right. it for yourself right and, and even if he did the idea that that she now owes him some sort of right. debt of feeling you know that like right you know my selfish or selfless that his actions can sort of you know earn some sort of reciprocated thing from Buffy yeah. um and not only being disappointed when it doesn't work out but like pretty angry you know right. um you know I mean on the one hand it is it is kind of funny that like even a, an imaginary conversation with Buffy doesn't go right. Like right. even one that where he right. like controls both sides of the conversation. Right. Right. Goes, it goes, goes around. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, you're right. Like, I mean, this is like, you know, the first time we sort of saw the Buffy mannequin, it was, you know, so I could practice beating her up because I can't actually do it. Cause I have a chip in my head. Right. Now it's like, he's using it to present, gifts and reasons as right. to why she should like him like like it's just like it's a very you're right it's a very weird and disturbing and and you know the the undertone of of that sort of thing being that there's a violence behind his which okay he's a vampire he's still a predator you yeah. know at heart and that's that's the thing that i think you know, one of the things that I think is so disturbing about all of it is that, like, even in his, whatever conception of love or infatuation or whatever he thinks he has for her, mm -hmm. uh, 
that it's still all premised on that sort of predatory mm-hmm. nature of his. And mm-hmm. you could go all sorts of metaphor on that you yeah. know, as far as just relationships between men and women in general, I guess, um, as yeah. well. But Well, and I um, um, totally forget what episode it is, but the one where he kind of, we talked about like how uncomfortable where he kind of attacks Willow and it's you're kind of prompted to laugh because he's all mopey and she's consoling him and oh with, with like and the so, ED sort of yeah so there's that too it's like okay it's i feel like with spike they often come back to that thing of just when you're prompted to kind of like him and feel sympathetic they also have him at his most like disturbing yeah. and predatory and you know um so it's sort of like you're being told both things at this like you know it you you can't ever mm. totally dislike him and you can't ever totally root for him either because sure. you know even in his vulnerable moments there's like that underlying like you know really mm. unhealthy kind of you know dangerous attitude and everything you know, which yeah. again, he is still a vampire, so I guess that's appropriate. Like he's not really, um, he's not fully one of the good guys. You know, he's even mostly still one of the bad guys. Maybe with right. some, maybe with some human aspects or some sympathetic aspects, but, um, but but largely, he's still not really fighting for good. I don't think. And and I think that, I mean, that even goes back to, you know, stuff that we were talking about earlier in like season four, um, you know, how much, how much is, does the chip act like a conscience or mm-hmm. a soul? Like, you know, are we, are we seeing here that maybe it's less than we initially thought, <laughs> like that actually there's still this underlying nature. And so you know, in a way, I never really thought about this before, but in a way, it's it's an interesting parallel between Spike and Anya because here you have another um, demon who's sort of been humanized in mm-hmm. a way insofar as he can't attack other humans. And so the sort of core essence of his demonality or whatever you want to call that is taken away. Yeah. Um, but you see that there's still sort of those desires there. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that becomes like, like the question becomes is like, okay, so does that mean like, like you said, should we think of him as a good guy, but it's not really him. It's the chip that's sort of presenting, preventing him. Right. Like if he didn't have that chip, what would he do yeah. to two or four or whatever Buffy, you know? So right would he just go back and be trying to kill her or would this weird romantic sort of feelings that he's having for her manifest in some other way? Mm-hmm. Hard, hard to say. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think you're right. Like we're, we're prompted to like Spike and revile him sort of at the same time. And right. it's, it's an interesting uh, sort of a dynamic. All right. Well, we should probably move on. Yes. Um, to Doctor Who in yeah. Dark Water. Yeah. So I want to approach this more 
chronologically through the episode mm -hmm. um, rather than necessarily by character. Yeah. Because I feel like I was sort of describing to you that I feel like this episode happens in like three acts. Mm -hmm. uh, and the acts aren't equal length by any means. They kind of actually get longer with each one. So sort of the first act um, is the Clara and Danny stuff that happens really before like the opening credits. And right. Stuff. That's what I was thinking. It's um, like the pre-credit sequence. And, and uh, the, the second act is what I've, I've called uh, Clara goes dark. Where, <laughs> um, she sort of threatens the doctor and is throwing the TARDIS keys into the, lava lake and then we find out that's not really what happens but um you know that part where we sort of sort of see how willing she is to get what she wants and then the third act is sort of all this stuff in both 3w and the nether sphere and you know all yeah. of the sort of the plot reveals that we get throughout that um so i want to start off with the claire and danny stuff though at the beginning first uh just because, well, so we get the sense that Clara, she calls Danny, mm -hmm. and, you know, at the beginning. And we get the sense that, like, she has something really important to tell him. And sort of slowly, I, we don't actually know because she never actually starts to tell him. But we can tell from, like, the post-its mm -hmm. and the various things that she's saying to him that it seems like she's going to sort of finally come completely clean about how much she has been with the doctor and yeah. you know, all this stuff. And I would, I actually tried to pause the um, series and write down what was on like a lot of the post oh, notes because okay. I was trying nice. to see what, what, exactly if there was a pattern or whatever and i mean i'm not gonna i won't read through them all sure you you know folks can do that on their own to see what they all were <laughs> but there were some like some of them were you know basic ones that were like titles of episodes actually or or explain or, or like brief plot summary so there's like dinosaur in london and right. kill the moon um but there were a few other ones that didn't make sense to me. Mm. Um, so there's one that said like PSI. Oh, that's Psy. That's how you spell the name Psy, the character from uh, Time Heist. Oh, right, right. Okay, okay. That's his, that, that's his. That, it's, it has so a silent, it has a silent cap, P So I wasn't sure if it was front. like an acronym or something. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so okay. we get like other characters like Vastra yeah. and Sabra and... Um, we we get Jenny, Jenny Flint, I assume is okay. You know, Vastra's yep. right. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, it's either that or like the doctor's. The daughter. doctor's, unless <laughs> so. they met the doctor's daughter and forgot to tell us. You know, right, which, which is, wouldn't make sense in regard to. And and we get like I feel like they we were would actually, know that, but <laughs> um, like there was the Impossible Girl. Mm -hmm. uh, th those were on actually two separate sticky notes. Okay. Uh. Interesting. Robin Hood was on two separate sticky notes as well. Okay. Um, but then we got one. So uh, we get Courtney on the moon. Uh -huh. And then Courtney becomes the president. Huh. 
I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. So that's interesting. And then we got one that said Maisie. Hmm. And I was wondering if that... Was there a Maisie? Oh, no. Maisie was... The... Um, on the Orient Express. Okay. I think she's the... the the friend that she made was she on the, the woman Orient. yeah who, yeah yeah because yeah. i was like well did they mean Maisie williams like right. i was trying to, i was trying to figure out it could, if some yeah, of these no, were like funny. were were like references Pre, right. to future things or yeah. whatever um no i think that character's name was Maisie. so okay so that would have been cool but um yeah but then you know i was also thinking like did they even know at that point if Maisie williams like probably, i was way overthinking it yeah i don't know probably not um, i i don't know uh, you know, and things like some more vague type ones, you know, ones that just said like truth and lying and mm. one that said like three months and, mm. you know, uh, what it, there was one I couldn't read. So I don't know what that said, but, um, oh, and we also get like the Rupert Pink and Dan Dan the Soldier Man, and, mm. um, some references there. So anyway, so again, it's just sort of putting it all together. Like, it seems like these were all some like reminders yeah. for her of things to tell Danny. Like she had set up this entire thing right. that she wanted to tell him apparently before he arrived. <laughs> Cause he was going over to her house. Right. He said, and she needed to tell him before that happened. Mm-hmm. Of course he never reaches the house. No, no, you get, you do get the sense that this is the big, truth session that they've been talking about where right. Danny keeps saying just tell me the truth this is like she's made up her mind um all right we're gonna do everything in one sit and 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 I've psyched myself up so I can't right. even wait till you get here I'm gonna call you and you're just gonna listen right now right. um yeah and and skips all the detail to you know, her I love you, which she sort of calls the headline, which I think we've had Clara say that before. Like, I think she said she loves Danny before. So it's not that that's new necessarily, but definitely this kind of not only am I saying it, but it's the it's the final one. I mean it. I won't say it to anyone else. You won't hear anyone else say it like this is the the eternal sort of yeah, this is the you know. love that lasts forever. This right, is right. The, the miraculous love. It's a miraculous love. love. Um, and, yeah, and, and like, even when Danny says, I love you back, she's like, no, no, it's not like it's automatic. It's, it, yeah, it's it's these words, these words from me are yours now, you know? And, yeah, that there's something more than just, you know, Oh, I love you. It's it's a deeper sort of like she it's it's a decisive love. You know right. what I mean? Like it's like it's not like I just have like sort of emotional and chemical feelings for you, but that I'm actually choosing mm-hmm. you in in this way. Um Yeah. And of course she gets no response. No, so there's the kind of awkward pause. Right, like which goes she doesn't on far know, too long. Is this, is he not feel the same way about me or what's right. going on? 
and if, and then someone picks up the phone and it turns out that he has died I, from a car yeah uh presumably m- maybe from the shock of hearing her say that to him like I, in I that mean, way like that seems to be the way that we're supposed to sort of think about it anyway i yeah it's it's obviously we don't see it it's ambiguous but i mean it could have been the a, a car that careened out of control and you know but but he's it, in the street it it, it, so it like opens it the feels... possibility that he is distracted by this phone call and not paying attention to where he's going i think yeah yeah um yeah so they never actually bring that up but Maybe that kind of hovers around as, you know, there's the potential for blame here, you know, um, of kind of, and maybe that feeds into some of Clara's sort of darkness in this episode of, you know, if only, you know, mm. uh, if I hadn't done this, if, if I'd waited. If I just if waited till you he know. got to my apartment. To yeah. All this. You know, you can see that being a kind of, you know, thing in the background of, you know, it, this is, this is at least potentially, uh, you know, her fault. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that I agree. That's definitely an aspect or at least a potential aspect. Um, there's also though, sort of the reaction then, you know, so we get the funeral and we get her at home with like her grandmother mm-hmm. there. Right. That's her grandma. Right. Yeah. For, that we saw. Yeah. The, in the Christmas episode. Christmas episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who really liked the naked doctor. Right. Uh, the, <laughs> right. Anyone for Twister. <laughs> the, uh, you know, and her grandmother sort of talking to her, trying to, you know, help her out a little bit um and the thing that clara says that she dislikes about it is how ordinary it was yeah right it's this isn't this isn't uh something spectacular it's so ordinary people were just walking around like nothing happened like he was alive and then he was dead and it was like stepping off a bus, you know, like yeah. that there's just not anything like she's sort of grown used to, you know, uh, everything happening in a way that's sort of out of this world, literally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And including death, in, including deaths that she has witnessed. They're yeah. not just normal deaths. They're deaths you know, by aliens or by monsters or, yeah. you know, by some, you know, otherworldly circumstance or whatever. Um, so it's interesting to me, like, to you know, bringing all that up, it's, it's interesting to me because then, like, her next reaction is that, uh, like, her grandmother says, like, you deserve better or something like that. And, and she goes, like she says, no, I don't, I don't deserve anything. We don't like, nobody deserves anything, but I'm owed better or something like, I don't, I didn't write the exact line down, yeah, but, yeah. but that idea that she's owed something. 
And I thought that was really interesting because this is the first time, I think, where we get Clara sort of feeling like there's definitely that feeling like she has that uh, that she's owed, you know, something beyond just sort of what comes her way like that. Yeah. You know, until now, she sort of has been the. Oh, let's, you know, go with the doctor and travel around and, you know, and then I go home and that's cool and that was fun and, and whatever. But it never it, there was never. uh to me, it seemed like there was never a time where we saw her with that sort of almost like that entitled sort of attitude. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what to make of that. Like, mm -hmm. and maybe it, we don't need to make a lot of it or mm -hmm. whatever, but it's, it does seem, you know, just like we were even talking about with Willow, that there seems to be a shift in her character in, yeah. in that episode that, that this seems to be a shift for Clara. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and not really for the better. Yeah, no. I mean, certainly not given what she does next in Act 2. But I just... Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, again, like, I don't want to necessarily dwell on it more than we need to. But it does seem like the idea of her feeling like she's owed something. You know, it, it almost seems like she's saying, like you know, the boyfriend that I had, like, mm. should not have died this way. And I guess yeah. in one sense that that's a feeling that, you know, everyone should have. Yeah. You know, pro or probably everyone does have that, like, you know, that's just the way it happens. You know, one one day you're alive and then the next day you just don't wake up. Like, that's that yeah. seems, you know sad in a way that like it should be more memorable and that you know you hear about um even like famous people you know who like suddenly or seemingly suddenly die but then you realize like actually i haven't heard about that person in a while you know mm -hmm. or or you know you know apparently they had just sort of gone off somewhere and maybe had some hospice care or something and whatever right um or yeah, you know, there are things like accidents or whatever. And I, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm I'm making even more of it than it is. But just just that idea that like she has now come to see herself as something different. And I think this even ties in a little bit maybe to um some of our discussion around like her acting like the doctor, you know, a couple mm -hmm. episodes ago where um you know with like the flat worlders or whatever yeah. they were called. Um where, you know, the longer she's sort of with the doctor and the longer that she sort of acts like the doctor, the less and less maybe she has the ability to be the doctor's conscience, which mm -hmm. is something that she had been saying she was for, yeah. you know, at least in the earlier stages. Mm -hmm. So it. I guess what I'm sort of getting at is that that seems like a very doctorish thing to me in a way mm -hmm. that like that like she's seeing the world as not being right you know by the way that Danny leaves and of course that's what sets up the tension for act two yeah because 
Well, okay. Well, before okay. I move on, so before should, let me should should do you have any other respond to that because you said a lot yeah. <laughs> trying yeah, yeah. to think of all the things I want to say in response. Um, and I sort of rambled there, so I apologize. No, it's cool. But, I think it's all good points. Um, so, I mean, I agree with a lot of it. I think, like, definitely the part about it being boring that is really interesting. Like, in the sense that you you get the idea that you know, she's made it, you know, they get so used to, like you said, death by alien or death by whatever, like, you know, it's not that she's uncomfortable with the idea of death, but that this isn't the kind of death she's willing to accept. You know, it's sort of like, well, you know, she's happy to sort of go down guns blazing, fighting for, a, a you know, some innocent group of people against, you know, this, you know, the Daleks or something. It's the, it's the ordinariness of stepping, you know, stepping off a bus, you know, or in front of a car that is, you know, uh, jarring to her sensibilities of what she, you know, so I think that is that, I think this is the kind of dark aspect of that, you know, becoming more like the doctor, like you said. I mean, I think, it is a jump in her personality. I think obviously you have to take it in the light of having experienced the traumatic loss of a loved one, you know, so, sure. you know, you're, I think there's, you know, obviously there's a little bit of leeway there and, you know, why she would suddenly sort of snap in this way. Um, but, you know, I think, it's been gradual, but it's been growing to that thing of, you know, uh, her tension with Danny of wanting more than just an ordinary life, wanting to see those wonders and, you know, not necessarily being satisfied with, you know, the things that are mundane and right in front of her. Um, actually, I think about um, Jackie's line to Rose way back when, like right before Rose leaves of Jackie saying, you know, you know, you're going to go off and live this whole life. And one day there will be this person in a marketplace on some alien planet, but it's not going to be Rose, you know, like mm -hmm. she's not even human anymore. So this idea of like, sure, do you become dehumanized by, you know, prolonged, either prolonged exposure to these bigger things or by like loss of contact with the mundane and, you know, mm. um, and maybe the idea that like Danny is one of the things that keeps her in contact with those more human things, you know, and that kind of the loss of that kind of sends her into this tailspin. Um, and I think we saw a little bit of that entitlement, in something like Kill the Moon, um, you know, of both kind of wanting to be the doctor, but really being angry at him for, you know, putting her in the position of having to make that really difficult decision. You know, there's a yeah. sense of want to eat your, have your cake and eat it too. You know, you want to travel with the doctor and be his equal, but you also want him to take on all this responsibility for the lives of everything, you know? Sure. Um, you know, and I always try to figure out 
what is this distinction between what you deserve and what you're owed? You know, because I'm not quite sure I yeah. understand. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I get the idea of, you know, I am owed and her grandmother says, who owes you? And then cut to the doctor answering the phone. So the answer being the doctor owes her. Like, you know, how many times has she helped him, saved him, helped him save Gallifrey, all these things she's done that if he, you know, if she gets anything out of this relationship, it's, you know, his ability to sort of fix things for her. Um, you know, which gets into sort of what she says later. So maybe I won't jump ahead, but um, yeah, I think this is Clara going dark, definitely. And I think like, again, it's been sort of gradually being hinted at this season with the, with her kind of becoming less attached to earth, becoming a bit more of a liar, all these things. Um, so, all right, maybe we can switch to act two because I think the lying becomes a huge big part of it because you see how easily she entraps the doctor in this really manipulative scenario, you know, and you see her answer the phone like, Hey, it's me. And he says, what's up? Right. And she's like, Oh, same old, same old. So you like, she, she can hide what's going on with her very easily by now. You know, she's become very controlled with how she presents herself to other people. Sure. Um, you have to wonder what her grandmother's thinking when she picks up the phone. And I know. Like and that. it's like really weirdly chipper and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, the only thing I can think of, sorry, just sort of going back to the deserve versus owed thing. The only yeah. thing I can think of is is that there's sort of a directionality mm. between the two of them. So, like, deserving is something that, like, you've earned or, mm. you know, like, that you merit in some way. Mm -hmm. Whereas owed is more like... Not that you've earned it, but that, but that someone, you know, someone owes you a debt that there's mm -hmm. a, that it was already, that it's already yours just, and that you just are waiting for it to be like in your possession. You know right. what I mean? Like that there's, there's almost uh maybe directionality isn't even the right way to sort of describe what that is, but that like. There's like a like, deserves, like a relational quality there of like Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know, but like it does seem like a very fine sort of distinction between the two, but but maybe that's maybe that's it that it's like deserve has like there's some sort of merit or you know uh earning, you know, idea behind deserving something whereas when you're owed something it's just it's just something that you're just waiting to like take possession of and yeah. then it's a little more i you know and i also think of like you, you know just even with you know when you say oh someone so deserves this like it feels like a good thing but when you owe someone like that feels like oppressive mm -hmm. you know what i mean like right like he um, owes me money yeah, yeah. So 
I don't know. Like, again, like, I think we can maybe sometimes use those interchangeably, but there is maybe a slight Mm -hmm. connotation difference between the two of them as well. Right. And I think that that relational or transactional quality points to like it being the doctor specifically that by virtue of her relationship with the doctor, he should bend reality to suit her, you know, like whether or not she deserves it in any sort of moral sense, he should feel obligated to fix this and change this. Um, Which goes, which goes to his point of, you know, I can't do it. Otherwise you wouldn't bother to threaten, you know, because obviously if he could change it, he would, you know, he would want good things for her. He'd want Danny there for her. So the fact that she has to sort of threaten and coerce him into it kind of, it gives her her answer, you know, before she even asks. So. Yeah. The, um, the thing I was going to say too, is that like, there's, there's, it's, you know, just having talked about Spike, it's almost a similar aspect there too, where it's like, you know, you could almost see Clara's, she doesn't sort of state it this explicitly, but you could almost see her thought process being something like, you know, I've traveled with him and helped him in all these different ways. And now, you know, for having been nice in that way, like, you know, there's, you know, now he owes me this thing. Yeah, I'm calling in my um, debt now. Yeah, which of course isn't why she was traveling with him in the first place. And right. the doctor wouldn't travel with someone who felt that way. But right. now she's sort of making it that, um, which is a little disappointing. But yeah, you know, let's talk about her going dark because we see, so, I mean, we get, we get, it's not real clear whether this is like flashbacks or whatever. We find out, you know, sort of after the fact that um, these patches or whatever induce dream states. So maybe it's just sort of the weirdness of the dreams mm-hmm. that causes the jumping back and forth. But basically, if we were to tell it linearly, we get Clara going onto the TARDIS. Again, pretending, and the doctor seems to know that something's not quite right, mm-hmm. uh, because he even says like, "Oh, usually say you're, you know, trying to get away from school or from home right. or from whatever." And whereas now it's just like, "Oh, you know, same old, same old." And she's trying to keep up the chatter, but she has a purpose coming yeah. on. She's going around looking for the keys, and then you know, for these patches or whatever. Uh, and it turns out, I, apparently there are seven TARDIS keys. Um, I'm not sure why he, doesn't he like keep one on him at all times? Like, um, it seems he, weird. He does. I mean, I presume she could have gotten it off him, like in the bit where it seems like he fell asleep, but really she right. fell asleep. Like, you know. I assume she could have picked his pocket or thought that she did, you know, because um, he yeah, sets enough. this up to be, I I set it up to to be what you wanted it. So maybe he right. took out his own key and gave it to her. Um, right. Because it, in, in this dream, sort of controlled yeah. environment. Yeah. 
Um, and so they go to a volcano, and apparently that's how you destroy. It's like it's, like it's the one like ring. the one ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, you, that's how you destroy TARDIS. Yeah, fingers. any you, old fire is not going to work. You throw it into a volcano. So, yeah. um, lots of sort of threatening and whatever ensues, and basically boils down to she throws all the TARDIS keys in, and then cries about it, but also doesn't really take it back. Mm-hmm. Like she says, I'm sorry, but I would do it again. Yeah. Like this is, this is her attempt. And that's, that's what the experiment is, right? That's what the doctor sets up is he wants to see how far is she willing to go in this pretty far threat or whatever. Yeah. I mean, pretty far. I mean, Pretty they much, can't get out of there. Right. Pretty much dooming herself and him, you know. Um, that's it's quite far, you know. I like the understatement of, like, he says, like, I want to see how far you go. And she goes, well, now you know. <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> that is true. Um, so, yeah, no. And there is the kind of, on the one hand, instant regret. On the other, you know. She is so desperate that she can't think of anything else, and so she would do it again. Um, yeah, not not the best color on Clara. Yeah, um, not her proudest. Quite woman. a good, quite a good thing for Jenna Coleman to get to play, but um, not really the most you know uh, likable aspect of Clara. Right. Um. And of course, then we find out that it's all a ruse on the doctor's part to to see that, to mm-hmm. find out how far she would go. Um, and and Clara's sort of deflation slash defeat uh, in realizing how far she went and yeah. how <clears throat> and and ex- fully expecting as perhaps anyone would, uh, that the doctor will now drop her off home and never see her again. Yeah. Um, but that's not what happens. And I, I think this is interesting. So again, you know, uh, questioning Clara's capability of being the conscience. Mm -hmm. I think we can say, at least in this part of the episode, yeah, no, she <laughs> she's not qualified in any way yeah. for that. Um, but then also seeing that the doctor actually does have a conscience of his own, mm-hmm. and and the sort of the the happy turn right yeah. of of him saying to her, yeah, although you did just betray me and abandon us in a volcano sort of yeah uh and you know stated you'd be willing to do it again mm-hmm. <clears throat> i'm still gonna help you out uh and we're gonna go find danny i i mean i like the gag of you know the go to go hell, to hell. Yeah. you know what so what do we, what happens next go to hell yeah no no i'm saying literally we're going to hell to yeah. find danny or wherever you know i, I like where he's like 
I, I always meant to look around and see if I could find it. Like, like yeah. he just hasn't. Like that's not like the deepest question of human existence. Like, right. like I just haven't got to it yet. Um, yeah. Plenty of other stuff to look at for. Yeah. Sure. Right. Um, yeah, that's kind of apparently low on the to do list. Um, but I that's such a lovely line about um, you know. Do you think I care for you so little that betraying yeah. me would make a difference? That like that sort of love sort of defined right there you know is sort of loving the unlovable you know loving because it's right and you love someone not because you owe them or they deserve it or you know they've earned it in any sense but just because you know you have love for them and they don't necessarily have to there are other times where Clara has earned and proved being, you know, worthy of love. Obviously, this isn't necessarily one of those times, but this time again doesn't cancel out that love, you know. And yes, he feels betrayed, but you know, uh, he he loves her anyway. So that's kind of like just a very pithy ex expression of that idea. Sure. Um, and again, it's nice with you know, to hear that from the doctor when it's usually the companion who says very, you know, you know, very kind of loving things like that. Like, it's nice to hear that him, from him unprompted by the companion, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But also, I think, from this doctor, you know, who is, you know, like, we've had a whole season of this is the prickly doctor who doesn't like you know, hugging or feelings or emotions, but he obviously still feels the same sort of way about his companions as, you know, someone like, you know, the 11th doctor who seems a little bit more lovable on the outside. Um, sure. But you get this kind of very firm declaration of what he'll do for the companions. So. Yeah. Um, um, and then of course you get, the deserve again right claire says i don't deserve a friend right. like you and the doctor says claire i'm terribly sorry but i'm exactly what you deserve right which is sort of a backhanded compliment in yeah a way, you know yeah. yeah yeah you're not quite for, sure for both of them compliment <laughs> or insult you know um yeah. so yeah yep um so and and his but you know but then immediately being uncomfortable when she does show her emotion of like Stop that with the eyes, you know. It's, how do you do <laughs> right. that? It's how like do you they even do that? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, yeah. and I think as much as she had a little obvious psychotic break there and didn't even necessarily regret it, I think you you get the humanity again in her realizing that she, even if she would do it again, she knows it's wrong and knows she doesn't deserve the doctor's help in this moment. Like, I think you get that she appreciates the significance of what he's doing for her. You know, I think some of that desperation might still be there, but that entitlement is gone. You know, right. the sense of, well, I want you to help me, but I now understand that I don't, I'm not owed your help. I don't necessarily deserve it, but I'm grateful for it anyway. So. Yep. Um, so. Cl 
close act two. Yeah. And we get the, we get the trip. I mean, so we get the, oh, okay, think about where, you know, think about Danny. Yeah. Boom. Oh, hey, this is where we're probably going to meet up with him again. Yeah. And where is that? It's at this mausoleum sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see, so, all right. So the mausoleum is kind of weird and creepy and has fish tanks with sitting human skeletons mm-hmm. in them. Um, and, you know, we get them sort of wandering around or whatever. They look at this, uh, like the guest book, which is like a digital, you know, 3D thing yeah. that gives the introduction. So the place is 3W. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get to meet Missy. Yeah. Uh, who is a very friendly, uh, at first we're told like sort of a robot android. (laughs) Sorry. Bless you. Uh, man. Let's sneeze again. (laughs) Wait a minute. All right. Bless you again. I think I might be okay now. Okay. We'll see. Actually, I'm going to go get a tissue. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll be right back. All right. So we get to meet Missy, mm-hmm. uh, who is this android, we're told mm-hmm. initially. Mm-hmm. Come to find out that's wrong, but yeah. that's fine. Um, the We get, <laughs> well, so it's interesting then because, I mean, obviously we learn later who Missy is and whatever. So. Yeah, do you want to talk about that here or wait? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, presumably everyone has watched the episode, so it's no secret. Uh, If you haven't, well, stop. What's wrong with you? Watch it. Um, Yeah, yeah, what have you been paying attention to this whole time? Uh, Yeah, no, okay, so Missy, short for Mistress, Mm. who is the regeneration of the former master. Mm hmm. Uh, so 
it's interesting then the greeting that she gives the doctor yeah (laughs) uh knowing sort of at least part of the history that they have yeah uh and seeming to rather enjoy it um and also just the weirdness of like pretending to be a robot right and all of that um you know but again like you can sort of see like okay so she knows what's going on so she knows that like the cybermen are in the you know are really the ones who are in the tanks and all of that like this is maybe sort of the hint that she's giving you know being sort of coy and Mm. uh uh not really um you know sort of giving the doctor hints but not really like coming out and saying what's going on or anything so i don't know it's it's all very yeah it's her toying with him and trolling him i mean so okay yeah this is the master who we've seen before and so i've i'm not gonna be able to think of it all but i have a bunch of things i want to say about that because obviously we've seen the character in new who and it goes far back in classic who um you know, and I get the idea, like, this is the same character who, you know, wheeled him around in a chair and sang pop songs, like, while he was, like, killing people and taking over the world. Like, you know, this is sure the part of the master's or the mistress's, I you know, whole persona is, you know, kind of, you know, this chaotic kind of thing, you know, and, and kind of trolling the doctor just for the fun of it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, kissing him before he realizes who it is, you know, but also there's the, I have so many thoughts because I I should confess that I love Michelle Gomez in this part. Like we're going to get more of her next time, obviously. And I think, I just think she's like one of the greatest things ever. Um, (laughs) But it's um I have like so many things I don't even know where to go. You know, there's obviously the gender swap, you know, so we're getting ever closer to the, I think at this point, inevitability of a female doctor. Um, you know, so we've had references to swaps genders before. Um, and here we, you know, are getting, you know, the actual change of a character um Mm. so that in itself is kind of exciting um and i kind of remember this isn't that long ago that this premiered i remember a lot of the speculation in series eight about who is missy is it somebody that we know or not and people you know naming various characters from the classic series and whatever Mm. of like who could it be and i'm sure people speculated that it was the master, especially when you realize it's Missy, you know, that seems so obvious in hindsight. Um, and I think the one reason I didn't necessarily see that coming was probably intentionally Moffat has sort of made remarks sort of just in interviews about how, you know, he wasn't really sure that he would be interested in bringing the master back and, 
you know, he kind of thought other people have done that better. I don't need to sort of, you know, play in that particular sandbox. But one of the things I remember him saying was why he thought it worked really well and why he wouldn't necessarily want to go there was he liked what Russell Davies and John Sim did with the master of having him just be like totally just insane. Just mm -hmm. like, which I don't think the master necessarily was in the classic series. Like he was always, sure. he was always the dark reflection of the doctor, but he wasn't necessarily like mad and chaotic in his behavior. So one of the things I like is that continuity from John Sim to Michelle Gomez of just her insanity of how just she'll just do crazy things just to do them, you know, of, mm. you know, if I can not just evil plots of take over the world, but if I can just make the doctor uncomfortable, that's worth it. You know, just whatever she can do to throw him off. Sure. Um, so I think that's kind of part of it, but I mean, also obviously with the gender thing, you know, and you get her sort of, you know, making out with him a little bit. <laughs> there's always I think that that side of the master like I think that was true with John Sim and David Tennant like there's that kind of you know slashy overtones I guess you know of kind of <laughs> you know there's the sure. thing of like you know doctor you know I like it when you use my name like there's always kind of a flirtatious and I think from what I understand that is something that you can trace back to the classic series of like you know, a lot of people saw the master and the doctor as sort of, you know, there's that kind of, we used to be friends. We maybe kind of love each other in some way. Mm -hmm. So bringing that, I think to me, what this gives you the freedom to do is to make that side of it more explicit than it had been. Not that it wasn't there before, but, you know, bringing, you know, having her there to sort of, just totally go 100% ahead with her sort of kind of like Spike with her sort of weird, crazy obsession with the doctor, you know? Um, so, yeah. And yeah. the other thing I want to point out, too, is the way that the master always seems to sort of regenerate to match the doctor. So, you know, we had you know, old Derek Jacobi regenerate into the young John Sim to sort of match David Tennant, you know, someone of a similar sort of age and, sure. you know, so here you get someone, you know, obviously a woman, but slightly a little bit older, Scottish to match his accent, you know, so there's a kind of like, you know, matching set vibe to it. Sure. Um, so, you know, and there's the line in her first episode where she's like, I do like his accent. Um, you know, so she's sort of always, the, she's copying him in a way, I guess. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No. Maybe we didn't mean to get into all that, but, um, I, 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 there's more with her next time. So maybe there's not, other than the big reveal at the end, I don't, maybe there's not too much to say about what she does in this episode, but I think you get a nice little taste. Yeah. I mean, all I was saying was that it's an interesting greeting for someone who we come to find out later is the master. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, I don't like, 
I don't think you're wrong that there were maybe some sort of hints here and there. Um, we don't really know much about Gallifreyan uh, sexual culture, I mm-hmm. guess. And but you know, the master seems okay with it, and, yeah. and and we know the doctor dances from time to time. So yeah. uh, you know, it's yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Um, so the other, so we're like coming up on the two hour mark and we have so much more to still talk about. I know, right. Uh, if we can stay awake. Uh, the other thing that we have then is the nether sphere, which we've seen before. So here's the other thing. We get, we get um, Missy in sort of the mausoleum, which is set in the real world. Yeah. But then there's also the nether sphere. But we've seen Missy... I right. think in the nether sphere before. Yeah. I don't know how to square those two things. And maybe I don't need to think about it too hard. Sure. But... Yeah, I mean I don't know exactly how I mean, I can't remember if the mechanics of it are addressed in part two, but I mean it's sort of some idea of I guess not only deceased minds can be in the never sphere that maybe there's a way she can sort of plug in her brain and also be there as well. Sure. Um, Almost like jacking into the matrix. Right. That's kind of what I imagine. Cause it's not really dead people. What we we find out. I mean, it's really their minds, which have been kind of captured in the, you know, um, sort of in the moment of death, they get uploaded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I guess there's a way for her to do that, which doesn't involve dying, um, would be my sort of answer to that question. Because, yes, we do get her interacting in that space. Um, So I do like I do like the pun of nether sphere that it turns out to be a sort of circular. um, Sure. You know. uh, Sure. Yeah. Uh, The other. So. And then, of course, like, <laughs> the stuff with Dr. Chang, then, mm. where he's like, oh, these are the voices of dead people and this and that. Like, I guess that's not actually true. Like, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure I understand that whole part of it either, because, okay, they figured out a way, I guess, to get the minds of people who had recently died, so that's Mm -hmm. what they're tapping into. But then it's also like, well, what he's actually doing with um, Danny is Mm -hmm. Danny's in the nether sphere already. So, like, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me, to how they're sort of... I think what they're... The voices they're picking up on are the ones in the nether sphere that... They're, yeah. they haven't moved on to death, which is why they can still feel their dead bodies and everything, that they're still connected. Um, right. Well, okay. So in that aspect too, man, I feel like we're jumping all over, but that's yeah, all right. That's okay. Because I, I, I don't know that we'll get There's to everything no if we don't. There's no way to not jump all over, um, yeah. Jump around. Uh, the connection aspect is an interesting one too, because we get the sense that like Seb isn't really connected anymore to his body. Or mm-hmm. if he is, he like, it's not bothering him. In mm-hmm. it. He's not like feeling worms, like crawling through himself kind right. of thing. Right. Um, 
And maybe that's just like something that happens. So like the more you decay, like the less you feel like in the nether sphere. Or there's this handy delete button, which of course it's a delete button, right? Right. Because it's the the Cyberman. Um, Yeah. Right. Delete and deleting your emotions, you know, deleting your humanity, which is their whole way. And that's what I, that's what, because he talks about it being like, like the pain aspect and what so is like the delete like I was thinking of it as like what you're deleting is the connection to your body and mm. your humanity, I guess, as well. Like yeah. that there's you know, the way to not feel things anymore is to completely sever that. Right. But that it seems like it has to be like a proactive decision. Like they can't just do it for you. Like mm. at least that's by presenting that to Danny, that's sort of the assumption I'm making anyway, right. that right. like there's, there, there has to be a conscious and it, I mean, we see him with a tablet, you know, about to press a button, but if it's in another sphere, then it's only conscious, right? Like it's, yeah, it, all of the rest of it isn't actually there. It's just consciousness. And like, yeah, there's sort of, uh, again, like the matrix is everything else is just sort of, software construct you know around which your consciousness is is sort of working Mm -hmm. so um it seems like that's that's something that like when he presses delete then his consciousness will i presume then be put into a cyber body Mm. uh again i'm just sort of making assumptions based on what we know so far so i could be wrong but but that kind of that's, what we're led to believe, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing at this point. I also um, want to mention um uh with the iPads, like just the jokes about that of, you know, oh there's pesky emotions, but we have a thing for that. <laughs> the, the handy right. delete app. And right. um maybe one of my favorite you have like, iPads, what, we have Steve Jobs. <laughs> that's like the hardest I've laughed at Doctor Who ever was that line. Like I think that it like it's morbid, but oh my gosh, I think that is yeah. about the funniest line that Moffat ever wrote. Especially when when he was writing this, like Steve Jobs would have been pretty recently. Yeah, dead. yeah, this came out a year ago, so it's pretty pretty fresh. So and it would yeah, yeah and he would have written it, you know, sometime before that. Right, so. right. No, I I'm sorry, but that that always makes me laugh every time. Um iPads. We have Steve Jobs. Right. Um, I think Seb is pretty funny in general, too. I think I've mentioned before his sort of Python-esque, like, you know, um, way about him. You know, his his things of, you know, we've got a burner in number 12, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Which well, I think that's, that joke so- has been in Monty Python. There's a sketch about a family that, like, cooks and like a like cannibal undertakers and it's like you know we we've got a burner i'll get the oven on you know like that's you know i'm pretty sure that might almost even be a reference to that so that that kind of british humor really gets me the right way and and he does hit sort of the perfect combination of like counselor slash uh clerk you know like like he you know there's the there's the sort of um uh 
psychological side of his job where he's there to sort of help ease <laughs> you into the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, but also the administrative aspect where uh, these forms will make you feel better. Well, they won't, but we yeah. still need you to fill we them have out. To do it. <laughs> like, yeah. You, you know, there's there's yeah. that. Just just shy of having, you know, actual bedside manner kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and and that so yeah um but what i wanted to really talk about with danny was actually um that he pauses at the end and of mm -hmm. course it's because he sees the reflection of the kid yeah in the ipad yeah. um and so you know going back to earlier in the story where he's um he at first uh he's told that he has a request like a visitor um and it turns out, like, we see flashbacks and we see that he killed, you know, this boy in combat, yeah. you know, um, which we knew that he had killed someone mm -hmm. before, um, just even going back to, like, his first day in the classroom or yeah. whatever it was. Maybe, I don't know, was it his first day? Uh, early, I don't know if it was, was first, but uh, the first time we saw him. So yeah, like, like, the first time we saw him. He was, that, he was new like first meeting Clara and ever so yeah maybe first day or just starting so um but yeah, where we get the of, children like yeah. sort of asking him questions and and the one boy who's asking him if he's ever killed anyone and that kind of thing yeah so um so we're not we're not necessarily surprised that he killed someone but obviously it being a boy who looks like 12-ish 11 yeah. 12 something like that maybe yeah um you know young young boy and um boy doesn't say anything but danny you know tries to talk to him tries to reach out to him and he runs off and then comes back in the end so that's very interesting to me like i you know obviously don't know what's going to happen i can sort of guess at certain things but mm -hmm. um you know seems like maybe there's an aspect of almost like what the doctor did for Clara where, you know, it was, even though you betrayed me, I'm going to help you. Like mm. this almost seems like maybe what the kid is going to do. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know, but yeah, no, that's, I, that parallel hadn't really, that specific parallel with the doctor and Clara hadn't really occurred to me. So I like that a lot. Um, um, yeah, and that idea of them being there, like, to stop him from erasing his own humanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and also, I think, parallels sort of with, you know, he's, Danny, someone who's been very firm about he doesn't need adventure, he doesn't need wonders, he just wants, you know to be at home and to be sort of normal and stable. But, you know, we've had that sense all along that he's maybe protesting that a little bit much that it's because of these things he's been through that he's sort of, yeah. you know, that touches, you know, the kids asking about him being a soldier and killing people touches a particular nerve that he's very sensitive about. Right. Um, and even I think too, like, the fact that it's this connection with this kid that it kind of makes me think of that being the thing that redeems the doctor with Gallifrey is sort of the idea that he can't 
you know, it's the idea of the kids that sort of brings mm. him back from that. And like, again, you know, so here we have that being the thing that sort of made Danny, you know, stop soldiering and sort of, you know, wanting to maybe even wanting to be a teacher, you know, like wanting to be around kids and actually take care of them. Like there's some sort of, sure, you know, penance or redemption there for, yeah. you know, what yeah. he's done. Um, so yeah. Uh, obviously we get, you know, it's a two parter. So we're sort mm -hmm. of left with the cliffhanger of, you know, Danny about to press the button and yeah. the Cybermen sort of starting to exit their chambers and go out into London and yeah. uh, the doctor running around yelling at people like a madman. And yeah. uh, I, I love sort of Missy sitting there, you know, telling people not to worry about him, but he's just a crazy Scotsman, you yeah. know. All that. Yeah. Um, I had no idea there was a match on. You know, right, like right. this is how all Scotsmen behave when like football is on or something. Uh, um, and Clara sort of trapped in the room with a Cyberman. Yeah. That's just waking up. So Yeah. You know, don't know where presumably they'll get out of that somehow, but <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah. Um and and you know where else everything will go, but you know, definitely an interesting setup. Um, been a little. I, I'm. Tr I was trying to think of when we last saw the Cybermen. Obviously, it's been a while since we saw the Master too. Um, and and the fact that they're sort of in cahoots. Yeah. Uh, you know, is interesting as well. Um, yeah. But it's all set up so far, so it's yeah. it's hard to talk about it more than just sort of giving that. Uh, you know, from from a plot perspective, I know we talked about the master a bit, but yeah, yeah. Um, the Cybermen are still the Cybermen. They're always going to be the Cybermen. They're sure, still want the same thing that they've always wanted. Yeah. So yeah, um, although I have to say, this is maybe not for anything that the Cybermen do, because as you said, they pretty much always just do the same thing. But I, this is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite sort of Cyberman story in terms of the way it uses them, because I think it gets at all the, like, it uses their kind of motifs in clever ways. So, like, you know, the their little teardrop logos, you know, as the kind of 3W and, um, mm. you know, and that idea of delete being, like, an app on the iPad and, you know, sure uploading and downloading and upgrading and all those sorts of things. And the idea of... Um, uh, you know, harvesting these, uh, you know, uploading minds so that we can harvest the body and re-download the consciousness. Like that all, it's a very clever use of all the Cybermen things that it's in a slightly more, Cybermen stories are not usually very sophisticated. And I feel like this is a more sophisticated use of those ideas than yeah. a lot of the others. Yeah, no, I I don't mean to disparage anything. I mean, I think, I think yeah. you're right. Like there, there is some good twists on, on it. I just meant just from a, you know, sort of standard, uh, Cyberman episode. Like, yeah, we know. Okay, they're emerging now, and and like yeah. we know they what they want. They want to take over and upgrade everyone, and yeah, 
Yeah. Well, and I, I do think the idea of the Cybermen is usually better than, like, the Cybermen themselves. Like, you know, once they get sure. out and about, they pretty much, you know, you, you kind of know what to expect. But um, I guess it's worth mentioning, too, that in the, the fact that they're in St. Paul's Cathedral, which is a sort of weird location, um, is because that's like a reference to the classic series, that there's a famous scene in the in from the 60s of cybermen on the you know steps of saint paul's cathedral sort okay. of invading london in black and white so um sure so this is sort of a you know a little reference back to that um so cool yeah but yeah a bunch of a bunch of cliffhangers in the first um two-parter that we've had in a while and the first mm. um two part finale since season five so um so there we go for what that for whatever that's worth um Boy. and i should i don't know what this says about moffat's personality but i should point out that he said that writing this two-part finale was quote the most fun he ever had writing dr who so well there you go <laughs> interesting well, so before we go, I did want to actually make one other reference back to Buffy oh, okay. um, that I had forgotten to make. Um, just that we have, well, and actually it's to Doctor Who as well because we have we have another little connection, sort of a sort of a loose connection mm -hmm. uh, between the two. In that the um, actor who played the troll, Abraham Ben Ruby, mm -hmm. um, was in uh, ER for, which is where I knew him from initially from. Mm -hmm uh for like 15 years from 1994 to 2009 yeah um although some of the later seasons he was only in like a couple episodes like he wasn't in every episode or anything yeah. um which of course when we bring up er also we have to mention alex kingston oh, who right. uh was in er for uh just slightly less long um like 13 years from <laughs> or 12 years or whatever it was yeah. from 1997 to 2009 so um, they had a lot of over. I mean, both of them were in more than a hundred episodes. Uh -huh. um, Alex Kingston was so the the character that um, Abraham Ben Ruby played was like a uh, like an orderly or something. Like so, he wasn't like one of the main doctors or anything, but he was like a recurring uh, guest star kind of role for a lot of mm -hmm. uh, seasons. And Alex Kingston obviously was one of the main doctors for a while, but they. They overlapped right. in a lot of episodes, so mm. uh, just thought I'd mention that too because we like to point out when there is some overlap, Crossover, uh, and that yeah. and that and that was I mean that's quite a lengthy, you know, over a decade for both of them on the yeah. same show, you know. So I mean that's quite a lengthy overlap there that yeah. that I don't think we've had really in any other uh, set of actors who have been on on either show. So. Yeah, not for that length of time, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be back, I guess, next week with the second half of the finale for Doctor Who and, and yeah. some more Angel this time around. And we'll get to see what happened uh, after he fired them all. So Right, right. Oh, gosh. Okay. All righty. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.